verses 37 and 38. John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. We're talking this morning about the importance of truth. What's happening around us is confusing. I, I imagine it's confusing to you. I know it is to me. And it's hard to know what's true. It's hard to know where the truth really lies. But it's interesting that this is not a new problem. The idea of sorting out real news from fake news and real truth from fake truth or lies, it's not an original thing with our civilization. In John 18, verse 37, Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, are you a king then? And Jesus' answer is fascinating in John 18, 37, watch. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Why did you come to this world, Jesus, that I should bear witness to the truth? I came to show people the truth. I came to bear witness to the truth. Jesus came, and his coming was all about revealing what's true, what's right, what's accurate. And then watch the next statement Jesus makes. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. To be of the truth means that we are children of truth. It means that we belong to the truth. It means that truth is something that we embrace, that we agree with, that we long for, even when it's difficult. And Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth, who loves the truth, obeys the truth, everyone who does those things hears my voice. And Pontius Pilate then asked the famous question in John 18, verse 38, what is truth? A cynical question from a man who had been awakened by he knew not what. A bunch of Jewish Leaders and a mob had brought Jesus to him and said, we want this man crucified. Pilate had no idea what the dispute was, nor was he particularly interested. But when this man, Jesus, started talking about coming to bear witness of the truth and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Pilate's response was one that he had probably thought of many times. In all the fake news that the world offers, in all the gray, shades of gray types of reality that people have to deal with. What is truth after all? And our own generation asks that same question in a thousand different ways, in a thousand different decisions on a daily basis. As God's people, we need to think about our relationship with truth. I'd like to begin this morning by suggesting that objective truth exists. That is a truth that's not just my truth or your truth or whatever you perceive the situation to be. There is such a thing as objective truth and the world around us displays that if we're watching and listening. For example, in the field of mathematics, it does not matter what culture you belong to, two plus two always equals four mathematically. It does not matter what generation you are a part of. Pi, that Greek letter, is always the representation of what happens when you divide 22 by 7. And so as you look at mathematics, you don't just get to say to your math teacher, well, I had a different impression about that problem than you did. Therefore, my truth is right and you can't count my answer wrong. Math teachers know that objective truth exists. There's a right and wrong answer to the math question. 
as you look on in the realm of physics. Distance is calculated at a constant speed, rate times time. Force equals mass times acceleration. And the way that you calculate physics types of problems is based on formulas like these. And they represent a truth about the world around us and the way that it works and the way forces on different objects act and interact and the way the mass of an object affects that. All of those things are true. And if you go to a physics class or if you go to a math class and you try to give a different answer to the question than what is implied by the formula or implied by the math problem, you're wrong. It's not that you had a different answer and that's okay. You're wrong because truth exists and it's independent of what you think. It's real and it's out there despite what you might have answered on the question. In law, when we think about what law is, a system of rules and guidelines which are enforced to govern behavior. And there are some laws that have been written and made over the centuries and even in our own culture that are kind of difficult to decipher. But when the speed limit says 55, everybody knows that you're violating the law when you're going 56 on the road. Objective truth exists, and a police officer is well within his rights to enforce the law, even if you're just one mile over the limit. As you think about truth and the fact that objective truth exists, even in our society right now, we're finding out some harsh realities about supply and demand. Businesses depend on their lifeblood is the demand for a product. There's a reason why people don't sell horse-drawn carriages anymore. There's a reason why people don't offer telegraph as a service anymore. Demand has fallen off the cliff and there's no business in it. And so supply and demand is an objective truth about society. Businesses have to make plans based on what they believe the demand for their product or their service is going to be. I'm saying all this to say the world in which we live operates, even though we may say, I don't believe in truth, we operate as if we do believe in truth. We do believe that there are some things that are objectively true. Why is that not the case also when it comes to spiritual matters? Consider this, the Bible teaches in John 17, verse 17, that the word of God is truth itself. That was what Jesus prayed as he was offering a high priestly prayer to his father. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, the apostle Paul reminded the church that God is not the author of confusion. They were coming to services and everybody was confused about what was going on. Whose turn was it to speak? Who was going to say the next thing? And Paul said, look, God's not the one that's creating all this in your congregation, in your assembly. He's not the author of confusion. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 affirms that God, because he is the very epitome of truth, cannot and does not lie. That's important. Objective truth exists, not just in math and physics and business. Objective truth exists when it comes to spiritual matters as well. And so the New Testament talks a lot about a Christian's relationship with truth. The New Testament says that Christians are to know the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Christians are to obey the truth. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, at least in the New King James translation, it has the idea and the phrase obedience to the truth. 
God has said, this is what I want. And when Christians obey, they please him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says we are to love the truth. And then two verses later, the Bible says we are to believe the truth. So not only are we to love what the truth tells us, but we are to agree with it. We're to believe in it. You know, it's easy to believe the truth when it's what I want to hear. It's easy to believe the truth when it's something that, yeah, I already thought that in the first place. It's just confirming what I already believed. It's tough to love and believe the truth when the truth is telling us that we need to repent, that we need to change. We are to speak the truth as Christians, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. We are to practice the truth. Whoever walks in darkness is a liar and does not practice the truth, John said, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. Christians are to walk in truth. It is our lifestyle. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 2 John verse 4. The Christian life, brothers and sisters and friends, is not just a what do you think is best kind of life. The Christian life is a life that accords and conforms with truth. It's a life that embraces and believes and obeys and submits to what God has revealed in his word. And we need more than ever to be a bold and a courageous proclaimer of the truth that God has given us. A Christian must believe in the importance of truth. It's not just my impression or my idea or what my heart says to me. What has God said? In the first place this morning, what I want us to do with our study is this. I want us to answer the question, why is, after all, the truth so important? Why is it so important? It's a question worth pondering because not everybody thinks it is. In fact, not everybody that's a Christian thinks that it is. Why is it so important? In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus was giving the parable of the sower and the soils. He said a sower went out to sow and he was planting all over the place, everywhere he went. And some of the, some of the seed yielded fruit and some of it fell by the wayside and was snatched away by the birds. But what is the seed itself? Jesus tells you in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the truth. And truth is important, brothers and sisters and friends, because... What we plant in people's minds and hearts is going to bear fruit. The ideas that we communicate to others, the ideas that we ourselves embrace, those ideas have consequences. They will bring a harvest to pass. And truth is important because if we want a godly harvest, we're going to have to plant godly seed, the Word of God. Why is truth important? Because it's part of the identity of the church itself. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And what that means is that the church is to defend the truth and the church is to support the truth. Just like a foundation supports a wall, supports a building, the church is to support the truth. There is something wrong in our land these days because so many congregations of God's people have forgotten that our primary function as a, as a group, as a body of believers, is to defend and to support the truth that God has revealed because that truth changes lives. It's a seed that bears fruit in people's hearts and lives. 
And the church has gotten kind of wishy-washy when it comes to truth in so many places. It's the support, the pillar, the ground of truth. If the church will not proclaim and uphold the truth, who's going to do it? Why is truth so important? Because we're commanded to speak it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Truth is important because it's necessary for freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free, John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus was interested in releasing people from their bondage. He was interested in setting captives free. And listen to me, you cannot be set free from sin. You cannot be set free from the devil without truth. It is impossible. It's never going to happen. All the self-help books in the world will not help you to be set free. Truth is the only thing that can do that. We ought to think about the importance of truth because error is real and it's all around us. In Jude verses 3 and 4, Jude writes, I wanted to speak to you about some more positive things, the common faith, but I instead found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And then he goes on to say in Jude verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed and they turn the grace of God into lewdness. They're perverting and twisting the truth. And there are still people today that want to take God's truth, God's word, and they want to shape it and twist it and mold it to their design. My idea, my way of living, I can find a way to do what I want to do if I'll just change the truth. The truth is important because error is real and it's around us. The truth is important because it's essential to Christ's likeness. I want you to think about this. Jesus was loving and tender and kind, but he also said, I am the truth, John 14, verse 6. And if I want to be like Jesus, I'm going to have to love and obey and embrace the truth. It's going to have to be what I'm all about. Error and falsehood and lies cannot be part of my thoughts and my experience if I want to truly be Christ-like. Why is truth so important? Because it's going to keep us from drifting. Therefore, give the more earnest heed to the things that you have heard, lest you drift away, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. God wants his people to be a truth-loving, truth-speaking, truth-living kind of people. We need to think about the importance of truth more. Second question this morning, how can Christians uphold the truth? Okay, John, you've convinced me through Scripture that this is God's will for us. He wants us to be a people who love the truth. He wants us to be a people who support and uphold the truth. The church itself is the pillar and the ground of the truth. If that's all true, then how do Christians go about upholding it? Some things for our consideration this morning. The first place, as the people of God, we have to wrestle with this. We're going to have to speak and to teach and to practice the truth regardless of its popularity. Regardless of its popularity, we have been living at a time in human history and in a culture in human history where it has been fashionable and popular for people to be religious in a Christian type of way, for people to build church buildings and to practice New Testament Christianity. Generally speaking, that has been fashionable in our society. That may not always be the case. But Paul still told Timothy, no matter what culture you live in and no matter what the society around you is doing, preach the word. 
Be instant, be ready, in season and out of season. When people like it and it's fashionable and when they don't like it and it's not fashionable. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We are to proclaim the truth regardless of its popularity in our culture. Secondly, how do Christians uphold the truth? By resisting becoming contentious. And this is really tough. Because when you have the truth, then by definition you are correct. I mean, it just stands to reason. If the things I'm saying are exactly the same things that God is saying, then by definition, I am in the right because God is always right. He cannot lie. But then to maintain a Christ-like spirit in upholding the truth, that's not always an easy thing to do. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verses 24 through 26. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's telling him how to uphold the truth. And listen to what he says. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know what? so that they may know the truth. So, Paul is saying someone who would uphold the truth must be gentle, must be meek, must be patient, must be humble, so that the people that are listening may know the truth, if God will perhaps grant them repentance. We must resist becoming unnecessarily contentious in upholding that which is true. How can Christians uphold the truth? Third, we are to do all things for edification. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the assembly, and it talks about some things that were happening in the assembly at Corinth when they all came together. They were fussing and fighting with each other, and part of the reason they were fussing and fighting was because some people had some things to say, and they wanted to make sure that everybody heard them. And so out of pride and selfish ambition, some of the Christians were standing up and interrupting the other Christians. And Paul says, stop it. In your proclaiming of truth, make sure that everything you're doing is aimed at the edification of God's people. You want to build up, not tear down the church of our Lord. You want to bring God's people into conformity with God's holy word and not tear things apart in the process. Truth is essential, and how we stand for truth makes a difference. We are, as Christians, to make a distinction in how we handle people who are in error. In Jude, verses 22 and 23, some people are naively taken, taken uh, captive. They don't know any different than what they're doing. Other people have an agenda that they're trying to promote. Some people have a purpose in mind. They want to sow the seeds of doubt. They want to sow the seeds of division. And we are to treat people differently based on, based on their, their approach to these things. On some people have compassion. On others, pull them out of the fire. The Bible indicates that there's a distinction to be made in how we deal with and how we bring people back to a right relationship with our God. Christians are to uphold the truth, but we're to make sure that we have a Christ-like spirit always in so doing. And don't forget, Jesus himself preached the sermon in Matthew chapter 23 to the Pharisees, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's a place for being bold and forthright in proclaiming the truth. Next, a question that we ought to think about. What happens when Christians uphold the truth? What happens when Christians uphold the truth? It's important to consider that if the church really is the pillar and ground of the truth, then what, what's to happen when God's people support it? In the first place, the Bible indicates that we will shine like lights in the world. Look at Philippians 2 and verse 15 in your Bible, if you would. Philippians 2 verse 15. The Bible says that Christians are to uphold the truth, and it says that we're to live the truth. And Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 15, do all these things that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the truth, the word of life, that I may rejoice the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We shine brightly, not for our glory, but for God's, when we live the truth and speak the truth and love the truth. It helps our, helps our influence in the world around us. What happens when Christians uphold the truth? Men are drawn to Christ. Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He was speaking literally. He was talking about being raised up on a cross. But the same principle is true today. If we lift up the truth that is Jesus Christ and his gospel today, men will still be drawn by the same power that has drawn men for 2,000 years, the truth of what Jesus has done for us and how we can come to him and have a relationship with him. What happens when Christians uphold the truth? We are fruitful. A man who delights in the law of the Lord, Psalm 1 verse 3, is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf shall not wither. Everything that he does will prosper. Why? Because he's paying attention to and he's following after the truth. You want to be fruitful in the Lord's service? You want to bear more fruit to God? The truth is the avenue for that to happen. What happens when Christians uphold the truth? This is important. Go back in your Bibles to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 15. Ephesians 4 verse 15. We are to speak the truth in love so that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So when the church speaks the truth in love, then there is a maturing that takes place among God's people. There is a growth that takes place among God's people. And in verse 16, he goes on to say, from whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How is the church going to grow up? How are God's people going to mature? And how are we going to find unity as the people of God? It is going to only happen when we uphold and support and defend and proclaim and live the truth. Truth leads to growth and maturity and unity. We ought to remember that principle more than any other when it comes to how we relate to each other as God's people. Notice and do not de-emphasize as you're looking at Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, the fact that love is mentioned at least twice. Speak the truth in love, the edifying of itself in love. Truth and love are not opposites. They're not on opposite ends of the spectrum. Rather, they are married and joined together. 
I'm not really a loving person unless I'm walking and living and wishing for you the best according to what's true and right. Truth and love are not enemies. They are married together in God's way of thinking because he himself is love, 1 John 4, verse 8, and he himself is the very epitome of truth, Titus 1, verse 2, John 14, verse 6. Truth and love combined describe our God, and they ought to describe us. How does a person obey the truth? God has given his will to us, and it's not like a math problem where it's like a math problem where we look at what God has said and we either obey or we don't. We either agree or we don't. It's objective. And what God has said is this, objectively, everyone must put their trust and their belief and their faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. That was the answer that was given to the Philippian jailer. What must I do to obey the truth? I must repent of my sin. Godly sorrow produces repentance. It changes us when we hear the truth and realize I've offended God. I'm not right in his sight. What must a person do to obey the truth? We must be baptized for the forgiveness of our sin. Colossians 2 verses 9 through 11 tells us that when we're baptized, that we are to have faith in the working of God. That means that as I go down to the water, I believe with all my heart that God has promised to wash and to cleanse me from my sin by the blood of his son, Jesus. And I believe that he's going to do that when I'm buried with Christ in that water and when I'm raised to walk in newness of life. I can know that that's the way that God saves people because that's what God has revealed in his word. Be baptized for the forgiveness, the remission of your sin. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about these matters. There are some emails on the screen next to me, and if you would like to get in touch with us, just send myself or Jordan Moore an email. We'd be happy to visit with you further. Thank you so much for your attention. Let's be devoted to being a people who love and proclaim and want to serve according to truth.